Hello, my name is Marzena Farana Sherlock. After a prolonged break, I would love to welcome you to episode number 14 of Just Stories podcast. Today, I'm visiting a magical place situated in the Abbey Hill area, Edinburgh, Scotland. It's a mud station owned and run by Sylvia Kolasińska. Sylvia describes herself as a person who, like a child, made a bold decision to become a self-taught potter. I could sit and listen to her story for hours. Sylvia explains how she came to opening the studio in Edinburgh and from individual activity she has built a community around clay. Today I will start the conversation from the end, from my last question when Sylvia explained to me who and why her favorite potters are. Join us on the journey of getting to know the variations of clay and pottery firing. I hope you will enjoy today's conversation as much as I did. What is your favorite piece of pottery? And it doesn't have to be something that you've made, but do you have a favorite pottery piece that you fell in love with when you saw it? I don't have a favorite pottery piece. I have episodes of, okay, I like this. And then I have another episode, I like this. I have favorite pottery. I mean, he was first a potter and then he became a ceramist. Peter Volkos. He was cooperating at some point with modernists, with Picasso, and he deconstructed the idea of pottery and what is pottery, how we can see the material. It was a time when clay was kind of like pretty. It has its own space in the pottery. You know, sculptures, not really. Wood firing, not really. What are you talking about? And he just created a, a space when we, he just got her influences from Soji Hamada, from Bernard Leach and he just cut it into pieces and created something completely out of that time and another potter that I absolutely adore her name is Beatrice Wood I'm always telling my students this story because she couldn't find a teapot that she liked so she decided to make one of her own this is how her story with pottery started and she was 40 at that time and she was making pottery for another 63 years because she died at 105 and she was still making pottery at 103. So I'm just telling my student that it doesn't matter what age you are when you are starting. What matters is how much time you have left and you don't know it. You simply don't know how much time you have left. No one knows. And I think this is the best way to start with anything, really. Age, really, I mean, it matters, obviously. We are learning in a different way when we are older. We have less, I don't know, let's say lung capacity. Those kind of all those physical aspects that obviously are there. But when it comes to mind frame that we are starting, age really doesn't matter. What matters is how much time you have left and how much time you will be able to spend with this particular topic, with this passion that you have. And for Beatrice Wood, it was 63 years. And this is amazing. You can read her memoirs. It's absolutely, absolutely fascinating story. I think when it comes to Beatrice Wood, what 
took me by surprise was the age that she started, but also a certain level of truthfulness. And she is famous for the few quotes. One is a bit cheeky. It says, I owe it all to art books, chocolate and young men. I would like to remind you guys that she was actively working with Clay until she was 103. But uh, I think better is this quote. Do be true to yourself. Whether it's bad, doesn't matter. The important thing you have to copy while you are studying. And culture is, each of us is like one pearl added to another to make a chain. We each contribute to the other. And that's a right. But once you are on your own, do that which comes from within. And I feel this very strongly. We are living in a time when we have access to every single tiny bit of uh, arts, crafts. We can copy, we can find ourselves, keep copying other potters, other craftspeople. And at some time, we have to just find our own voice in it. And until that time, copying is the highest form of flattering. Yes, but we have to be careful with this. But whatever we are doing, during the classes, in our home, knitting, cooking for people we love, doing pottery, we are adding another pearl to the chain. Sylvia, can you tell me a few words about yourself? I was born in Poland. I moved to Scotland 10 years ago. I'm zodiacal Virgo. What else can I say about myself? I was always drawn to kind of craft activities. It was always something that I was looking for, my niche or my passion. There was a time when I was trying stained glass, for example, but as a material, glass is very hard. And after three or four months of apprenticeship, I just resigned. I had a slashed fingertips and I didn't really like it. I was trying drawing, I was trying painting. I never had enough determination or discipline to actually stick to any of those activities. And then one day I visited my friends who have gallery in Bieszczady, in Polish mountains, and they just bought pottery kiln. And it was just kind of social situation. We were sitting, having some beer, and they just asked, do you want to make a bowl out of clay? And I thought, okay, yeah, you know, it's a nice evening. Let's make it even nicer. And I stuck. The moment when I when I touched clay for the first time, I knew that this is my material, that this is something that I was looking for. It sounds a bit magically. I've mentioned I'm Virgo, so I'm very practical and I'm very kind of down-to-earth type of person. But this was one of the few moments in my life that I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. And um, I came back to my hometown and the first thing that I thought about was buying my own kiln, which was completely upside down when it comes to starting things with pottery. You shouldn't start with buying your own kiln, but this is how I started. You're saying that you're very practical, but there's something magical about clay. By the sound of that, it's very physical experience. You're touching clay and it sounds to me that it's very grounding as well, the whole process when you need to focus on making something. I mentioned this magical part. It was the moment when I made a decision. It's almost like looking 
at the person for the first time and saying like, okay, you will be my husband forever. It was like this with Clay. So it was a love from the first sight, which is completely out of character for me. When we are talking about process itself, it's actually, you write, it's very grounding. Especially now when our fingertips are actually used to touching telephone screens, keyboard, we have very little experience with touching texture and many many times people are very surprised when it comes to the first contact with clay how wet it is how cold it is how plastic it is you know all those qualities that we are having in clay they are surprising for adult people i'm not even talking about kids right now because this is a completely different category but even adults they are surprised how physical characteristics of this material are as a process itself it is grounding it is occupying the part of our brain that is just i would say very primitive and also fun driven so most of the time we are relaxing during working with clay some people are saying that it's really therapeutic for them to come to the classes to have this two hours three hours of focusing on what is directly on your hands, in your hands, and uh, thinking only ahead as much as you need really to go for another stage of this material. So yes, it is grounding. But I think you've touched on that. It's something magical in the process because right now we used to screens, we used to running, we used to be busy, and it actually forces a person to be here in the moment. It forces to be here in the moment also you can shape clay in a different way. So you don't need to necessarily use a pottery wheel. When we have this image in our heads about how Potter looks like, we usually see the scene from the ghost, which most of the Potters absolutely hate. We hate the ghost reference. We have memes uh, circulating about this scene, but you can shape clay in a different way. So you don't need a pottery wheel for this, but you always have to be present. You have to be attentive to what clay is doing in a certain moment. Clay can dry if we will leave it for too long. Clay will crack. It's a natural consequence of drying. So if we are not in the moment and if we are not paying attention to the clay, it's probably like with cooking. If we will just miss the moment, we won't get anything from this material. And it's a usually one way work. So if we will miss the moment, most of the time we, we just have to stop with this particular piece and start again with a, with a fresh clay. It requires certain focus. For some people, it helps them to actually stop thinking about the outside world. What interests me from what you're saying, it's almost like building a relationship with the material because you need to focus on that. Have you had people that found it really challenging, that focus moment, that uh, touch, making sure that the clay is being taken care of? And if you did, how did you overcome that with your students? 
many, many times I'm using straightforward messages. My students most of the time are the people who already have basics, so they are not beginners. Many times I straightforwardly saying, it will die. It comes not from me being mean or vicious, it's rather me making the mistake that I just witnessing just right now they are making making the same mistake myself so i'm a self-taught potter and i was in a mind space that i was thinking i will do it and then it was almost like a conversation with clay and clay was saying no you won't you don't know how to do it therefore i will be wet blob on the table because you just approached me from the wrong direction clay taught me how to be patient and Clay taught me that you should make a theoretical research, at least, before you, you will start to work with material in a practical way, simply because I will give you the example. We have the same technique, wheel throwing. We have kind of like gestures that are suitable for the wheel throwing, and you can compare it to driving a car. You have a driving license. You know how to drive a car. But if you are using your whole life, for example, Jeep, and suddenly someone puts you behind the wheel of a bus, you feel like you almost have to learn how to drive again from the scratch. The perspective is different, you, you know, the whole thing is slightly different. This is a car and that is a car, but it's different. And it's the same, for example, with almost every single situation with wheel throwing. When we are throwing with earthenware, it can be slightly different than stoneware. And it's totally different with porcelain. Many, many porters are narrowing the area that they are starting to specialize with simply because the whole topic is so vast that the one life is not enough to actually to be expert with being a potter in general. So people are deciding to specialize with wheel throwing, with types of firings and uh, all tiny details that are making all the differences. Did you find your niche and what is it? Yes, I'm mostly shaping my pots by the wheel throwing. And I started to wheel throw simply because I thought that it would be easier and quicker. And then it took me a few years to actually get to the point when it was easier and quicker. This was again the situation when I was making this kind of overestimating my abilities. I like to work with a clay that has texture. So most of the time I'm working with a clay that is called grogged clay. Grogged clay or grogged stoneware that I'm using is a high fire clay. Every type of clay has a different temperature range in which it works best. So stoneware is a high fire clay. The maximum temperature usually is about 1290 degrees. Grogged means that it has particles of previously fired clay mixed with the so-called raw clay. And those particles can be very fine, sometimes like a flower, or very coarse, like a tiny little stones. I'm using something in between because I'm using a wheel, so I'm wheel throwing and having a very, very coarse grog in the clay that I would have on a wheel, it would just simply cause injury. <laughs> 
I'm using something in between. I can still feel it when I'm throwing this kind of polishing activity. After finishing my pots, I like to leave outside, especially outside of the mugs, unglazed, where person who is just actually using the mug can touch the material and, and I usually leave some texture there. We are using mugs on a daily basis. Most of them, they don't have anything to touch outside. They're glazed all over. So this is my niche for now because I'm very easily bored and who knows maybe in two years time it will be slip casting because I will have some weird idea about what I want to do then. Slip casting is when you have a clay in the form of very thick paint because clay can be anything between very watery thing to almost rock hard solid thing. So slip casting is a technique when you are having very very liquefied clay and you're pouring it into a plaster mold which this mold is filled with the clay. The plaster absorbs a little bit of water and creates a thin wall around the mold and then you're just removing, pouring out the excess of clay that you don't need. So this is slip casting basically. It's very similar to metal casting and generally this technique. At this point uh, it's wheel thrown textured mugs. This is my kind of like favorite thing to do right now. Also I wonder what was your first thing that you've made that evening when your friends invited you? Do you remember that experience? And then from that how did you decide? Give like an overview of that journey. During that evening I made a bowl and I think I still have it somewhere in Szczecin in my hometown. I didn't bring it here. I remember it pretty clearly. For some time after I made a decision that, okay, I want to be a potter. And it, it was really kind of like a child is saying, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I said, I want to be a potter. And I was just working a little bit. I was behaving a bit like a headless chicken, running around. Instead of going and having a classes, which would be pretty challenging at that time in that place that I was living. I just started to do things. I, I started to make things things myself and everything was surprised. The way glazes are behaving. I was just in constant awe after opening the kiln. It was a state of a constant surprise and then trying to recreate it. I was pretty chaotic and hectic in my learning journey. In the meantime I was having like a regular job. So it was me being a hobby potter with this kind of strong sense that okay I will be really doing this as a full-time job. Also in the meantime I was having kind of like a private journey with my partner. I got pregnant. You know it was a life work juggle a little bit and pottery in the middle of this. As we know when the kids are coming into our, our lives they have a priority and their needs uh, have priority. But um, after my child was born I knew that I want to end the maternity leave and make it a beginning of my own studio. This was the decision I made, pretty bold and without having kind of financial security. It was a um, pretty risky move, but I started Pottery Studio in my hometown with two other potters. And uh, we had the studio for about two years until I decided to move to Edinburgh. It was a pretty, on the one hand, we had very similar experience because both Kinga and Grzegorz, they were also self-taught and they were also 
also very enthusiastic about clay, about everything that is related to pottery. And um, this kind of enthusiasm is contagious. So the people who are starting to, who started to come for our classes, we actually had a full set of people just with a word of mouth. And it was before pottery was trendy. And then I decided to move to Edinburgh, which my friends saw as a pretty stupid decision because the studio just started to work, started to bring some money. Pottery is a activity that requires quite a huge investment before you are starting. So, so buying a kiln or buying the equipment is pricey. After you're making this kind of decisions, and investing in kiln, for example, and uh, this kind of equipment. And then you are deciding to move into another part of, of Europe. Some people saw it as a pretty silly move. I made this move, I do not regret. Because the story continues here. You've got the studio where you not only practice, but you also create a community. It wasn't straightforwardly planned as a place that I will run classes and I will have community uh, around me. I rent a space on Abbey Hill where now is a boxing shop because I could afford it. It had nothing to do with bigger plans or being able to accommodate more people than just me. So I could afford it. I brought from Poland only my wheel. I wasn't trying to transport kiln because it wouldn't work really. I had a wheel. I had to start and create a studio from the scratch for the basically third time in my life. I had to also organize my life in a place that was very unfamiliar. I never lived in any other country than Poland for all my life. I was 34 at that time. I didn't speak English on the communicative level, I would say. And I was very scared because it's investing quite a lot of money into something that might work, but not necessarily have to. And my child was at that time four and a half. My main objective was then at that time to make their life as safe as possible with this transition from Poland here. For the first year after I moved to Scotland, I wasn't even having a mind space for thinking about the studio. And then eventually I started to gather the equipment, I rented the space, and I started to experiment with the local clays, because every single clay, local clay, behaves slightly differently, gives slightly different results with the same kind of temperature. So I was starting to make some test tiles and trying to figure out, do I want to make my own pods? I was thinking that I really don't want to run classes anymore. It was a very strong feeling for a while, I would say like six months, because then I realized that actually I really need people around me. I need people to experience the same kind of sense of surprise and awe around the clay. There was a one girl who was living in Abbey Hill and whenever she was passing the studio, she was just knocking to the door and, and she was asking me when I will start classes. And my answer was always, I'm not running classes. And eventually I said to her, listen, okay, I have a space here for maybe one person. And she's like, I'm just one person, you know, it will be, it will be okay. And she she stayed and Fiona is my longest kind of like attending student and she managed to move to Ireland and back 
and still being my student. We are laughing that she couldn't find a proper pottery studio in Ireland. As soon as the shop next door was for rent, I thought this is the opportunity that I should pursue simply from the point of view of bigger space. And uh, I already had more and more people actually asking if I run classes. Having a window and having a food traffic and people who are actually can look inside and see, oh, there is something going on there. I wonder what is it has its perks, really. So it was seven years ago. And since then, I'm in Abbey Hill. Pottery started to be trendy. We have Edinburgh Ceramics Workshop just across the street. We have studios appearing. Some of my students started their own studios and their own practice. It's absolutely lovely to see how the pottery has a, a wave right now. Great pottery throwdown. I think it will be now fifth season in the making right now. Pottery gets its recognition. Sadly, there is no ceramics department left on any of the colleges or any of the universities, art schools in whole Scotland. This is the part that bugs me and this is the part that I think it's very sad. The last head teacher of ceramics department art academy in Glasgow, late Dave Cohen, was the last one and I remember there were petitions written to not close this department. It didn't work. Edinburgh College closed the ceramic part. It was called a 3D design degree. I think it was about five years ago. I asked what happened, why they sold the equipment. And uh, the answer that I received was pretty blunt, kind of like that it's not profitable. Obviously, we are getting to the point when we are thinking, okay, since when education should be profitable and not being investment in the future generations. But from the point of view of time and space and costs that pottery can generate as a degree, they are actually right. So I don't know how the future of, of ceramics in the official educational path will look like in Scotland. I don't know if they will try to recreate one department somewhere, maybe in Glasgow, maybe in Edinburgh, because there is a huge, vast ocean of knowledge floating there, not being used, really. It's also something that could be passed yeah. through generations, because ceramics and pottery always has been part of creating a culture as well. We are dating the civilization by the pieces of pottery that we can find on an archaeological site. Pottery is always somehow related to heritage and the history. The problem is that there have to be people that are passionate enough about the topic to be able to fight a little bit with the system to create a space for this passion. person who started a charity called Adopt a Potter and later on it turned into a clay college, Lisa Hammond, She's a world-established potter and she is fighting for preserving the knowledge, the experience, passing it from the people who have it to the people who want to learn. I think it's a shame that it has to be almost like a grassroots initiative where you have to create a Kickstarter with the help from other potters which actually gave their work for the Kickstarter to start a school, to start a place when people will be learning 
learning with a very limited help from the state. Hopefully, some people who are making decision will see that maybe there is not enormous huge profit, but uh, preserving this knowledge is worth investing some money. This is Just Stories Podcast. I'm Marzana Farana-Sherlock and I meet with people to find out about stories, places and initiatives that are part of their history. Today I'm sitting with Sylwia Kolasińska next door to her pottery studio, Mud Station. This cozy yet modern studio is situated in the heart of Edinburgh in Scotland. It's not only a place where you can buy pottery, but it's also a creative space where you can experience and work with clay, including wool throwing or to observe professional pottery kilns and even load your own pieces of art. I forgot I am smoking. This was the best feedback Sylvia has recently heard after one of the classes. Therefore, in the second part of this episode, I have asked Sylvia about the community she created and the impact of COVID-19 on all the activities. I wanted to ask you about like experiences and feedback that your students provide because before we started recording you've mentioned that it's like a we community there is that human part it's not only learning the craft but it's also the connection that is being built between people. I had a few moments and I have my own experience where the clay is therapeutic for me where I couldn't go considerably unharmed through the lockdown, for example, only because I could come to my studio and it was closed for the audience, it was closed for the clients, obviously, but I was able to be there and to focus on my work. I had a situations when people working with clay, they were bursting in tears over the wheel. Something was happening in their lives and the moment of maybe just simple touch of a material, maybe the feeling of being in a space that is just simply welcoming and safe. Before the pandemic, I was just giving hugs left and right, really. And sometimes people just walking into a studio and having conversation about pottery and clay were left with my hugs. I am a hugger. It's a space where we can rant, really, we can educate ourselves about some social issues. This is the space when we can tell other people how bad day we had. It works a little bit like a therapy for some people. Other people, they just need to have a physical contact with clay, the sense of they're making something from scratch, from something that resembles mud, really. For some people, the process itself of making this clay shaped in a certain thing, using it at home, because most of the pieces that they make, they end as a gift, piece of kitchenware, other places, those people making a tokens that can ground them in their lives. And this is what one of the students said that, you know, how good it is. I'm just serving tea in the mugs that I'm making myself. It cannot be better than this. Today, during the session, one girl said, and this is the best piece of copyright that I've ever seen. We asked her if we can use, quote her. She said, I forgot that I'm smoking working with clay she just forgot about nicotine craving if someone is saying i forgot that i'm smoking it just tells you everything about how really relaxing and how how you can just focus your attention in relaxed way it's like this you are focused and relaxed at the same time 
That is absolutely amazing. In what way the pandemic impacted like your relationship with pottery or other people that were coming in? Definitely there was a physical aspect of it. People couldn't engage with the clay directly in the premises. We were making online sessions for people who wanted. We were doing for free. We were trying to keep people's sanity intact. But the problem was that many, many people, they had to work from homes and they were in front of the screen whole day and adding another hour or another two hours in front of the screen even with pottery even with kind of making things that they like was a little bit too much for them so we were trying as much as we can we are thinking about actually making exhibition where the pieces that were made during this lockdown sessions later during the year as a part of colony of artists meeting it's usually on the beginning of, of September those are different pieces you know some tea Pots, improvised sculptures and self-portraits but it was the one time during the week when we were just meeting and basically checking on each other are you okay are you fine is there anything we can do other than just kind of bubble about the clay it was kind of like stretching this community sense of the studio and um, finding ourselves in a position that we could help it was very empowering it was a good feeling there were few things that we couldn't do but there were also some something that that we could do my personal relationship with clay didn't change i had access to the studio this is my studio many people weren't in a position like this because they are sharing the studios with other people that are using a membership scheme so they couldn't work during the lockdown I had this privilege that you know I have my own key I can open the studio in the middle of the night and work here as long as I'm quiet <laughs> I can appreciate it even more because it was also grounding me and letting to keep my sanity intact what's your vision for the future my vision for the future is um, directly related to what we already started at Mud Station. I'm working at Mud Station with one colleague, with Stephen Wood. And between us, we run classes for the beginners and more advanced people. We slightly overgrew the space that we are occupying right now on Abbey Hill. And during the pandemic, during the lockdown, we came up with the idea of certain evolution of what we are doing there already, spicing it up, evolving it by starting a charity, Scottish Charitable Incorporated Organization. We are called the Liminal Space. And starting from working with clay, we would like to take this community spirit-driven activity, which we have at Mud Station, on slightly new level in a bigger premises if we will be able to find it but also creating slightly bigger community around working with clay because it's not only what we can do with the clay within our studio where we have a regular electric kiln there are different types of firings naming just few we can we can make a gas firings we can make a wood firings in a wood kiln i've mentioned that we are working with the electric kiln so it's a pretty straightforward situation when you are just programming it like you were programming very complicated oven and you can basically go to sleep the kilns nowadays are made that they have controllers that if they will send some kind of faulty situation when it comes to electricity they are turning themselves off and that's it we are laughing that basically the kiln that 
inside there is a hotter than volcano we checked it must have been painful no we had a session with the kids from abbey hill and they needed to know how hot is inside of the kiln and we checked it and it's hotter than volcano the maximum temperature that you can get in my kiln is 1340 degrees it's a temperature for the vitrifying porcelain to make it translucent and in a volcano you sometimes you're getting up to 1000 degrees so this is this kind of a quite interesting bit those kilns are much more safe than your regular oven in your kitchen with any kind of mistake the kiln is turning off so for example if i'm opening the lid of the kiln when in the kiln there is a above 100 degrees the controller turns it off there is a almost it's like an anecdote Stephen's friend he was making a ceramics degree on Royal School of Art in London as far as I know I might make mistake when it comes to name of the school and there was a fire in the ceramics department and everything was burnt except the things that were in the kiln because it obviously it works both ways the being fireproof it works both ways and the fire in ceramics department was started with a cigarette butt it was nothing to do with the kiln which is seems to be okay ceramics department but those kilns are really pretty safe other types of firing is for example gas firing when you're using a torch with a gas it's usually propane or propane butane kind of a mixture and you are getting to the certain temperature with a real flame those kilns are slightly different i've know physically about the one gas-fired kiln that is in the building in Edinburgh and to set it up they really have to just meet all the absolute criteria of health and safety this is slightly different wood fire kiln you're working with a open fire and the real flame as well but the source of flame is burnt wood so this is this kind of a, the basic firings that are available more or less obviously most of the potters working with electric kilns because they're most accessible and straightforward to set up in buildings in places like Edinburgh. Most of the potters that are working somewhere on the countryside, they are having more or less experience with the wood firing because it's it's fun. Does it impact the texture on the glazer of the finished product? Yes, usually plenty of pieces that are made with the real flame, they have flame marks on the clay body. You can actually see the direction of the flame how it worked with the clay it's completely different dynamics it's much more unpredictable full of life really my biggest dream is to eventually get to the point when i have access to my own wood firing kiln we are working on this part as well with a group of potters from Scottish Potters Association, but it's a slightly longer process and the firing itself also requires a little bit more attention and being also present because no controller will add a wood into a firing. You have to be there, you have to stoke the wood, you have to pay attention how the temperature is rising, you have to act according to it because not all the firings are pretty straightforward usually they are ups and downs and bumps and opening kiln like this even for experienced potter is always like opening the christmas gifts there is always some surprise you can have pretty predictable 
results in an electric kiln. Most of the time when it comes to wood firing, we are laughing that we are praying to the kiln gods because it's slightly like this. The wood firing depends, for example, from the weather, the air pressure that is around. It's a living fire. So many, many times you have a unforeseen circumstances like a, a hail or a rain. Scotland is well known <laughs> from this kind of thing. And you have to, for example, stop firing in the middle. If the firing takes about four days, if you have to stop after two days and then start again, it's enormous amount of work invested in it and sometimes it doesn't pay. So this is this unpredictable nature of, of those firings make it even more interesting. All those things are within the reach between two of us. We are just two people. We would have to just have more help and more people involved, not only in a way that they are just coming and having classes, but more as a maybe some apprenticeships. We're still trying to figure it out how to properly start it. But we already started to cooperate with charities. We are making sessions for people who are excluded otherwise. And we are pretty hopeful when it comes to looking into the future. What I would like to ask you for somebody who, let's say, knows pottery just because they've passed the shop, how would you summarize the process from the beginning? till the end, if it's possible to simplify that for somebody who has no clue. In the simplest terms, clay, when we are working with this, is pretty soft. It has to be soft and malleable. Many, many times plastic. It's just like a dough. And this is the moment when we are shaping it. Later on, we have to leave it for drying. During this drying, clay goes through the stages that we call, for example, leather heart, when it still has a little bit of water in it. And still you can carve it, you can alter it in a certain ways, give a final touches to the shape of the mug. And then it has to completely dry this stage, we call it bone dry, in order to go to the first firing. It has to be completely dry because the water, if it happens to be in a clay that gets into a kiln, the water starts to boil at 100 degrees. We all know it from physics class. And the steam simply rips the whole piece apart. The water is trapped in the body of the clay, in the body of the mug, for example, and it doesn't have anywhere to go. So it's like having a boiling kettle with all the tiny little holes just closed. You can imagine that this is how the steam engines were working. It has to be completely dry. Drying process is usually about 10 days, up to 14 days. It depends from the weather. Again, winter, it takes a little bit slower. Scottish summer, it takes a little bit slower. Scottish spring, it takes slower. <laughs> And then we are making a first firing called bisque firing. This is the firing that usually takes about eight hours, eight to 10 hours to get to the 1000 degrees, 960, 1000 degrees. And after this, our pieces that were bone dry are turning into something that we can decorate. They are still very porous. They are still very kind of like a bristle and it's called bisque ware. They have to be porous in order to 
absorb the water during the glazing process and be able to actually create a layer of the glaze on the surface of the pot. After glazing, we still have to fire it again. And then this is the second firing, we call it glaze firing. And it's usually higher. We are working with stoneware. So our firings are between 1240, 1260 degrees of Celsius. It's with a cooling process of the kiln because we obviously have to let it cool down. It's about 24 hours entertainment and during this firing the ingredients of the glaze they are melting on the surface of the clay they are ideally merging with the surface of our pot and staying there and after this we have finished piece. Usually I'm telling people that the mug that they are buying went through my hands about 10 times from the moment when I started with a fresh clay to the moment when I'm just actually handling them a finished product. It's everything from throwing, trimming, finishing, sponging, cleaning it and then decorating it. It's about 10 times I have this piece in my hand doing a different activities. Sylvia, thank you so much for our conversation. It was great to spend some time with you and absorb your humongous knowledge about pottery. I enjoyed that conversation and would encourage every one of you to pop into the mud station if you're ever in Edinburgh in Scotland. Marzana Farana Sherlock, thank you for listening. This was the 14th episode of Just Stories podcast. If you enjoy those conversations, please subscribe and leave a few words for the review. You can tune in to Just Stories podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean platform. See you in two weeks.